right, we are back for a special Giro Stage 19 edition of the Cycling Tips Podcast. I am Abby Mickey. I am joined by Dane Cash. Dane, nice hat. Thanks. No one can see it, but... Well, thanks. That no, Kaylee never compliments my well anything that I'm wearing. So thanks for that. I appreciate that. You're welcome. I mean, he always just asks me how I'm doing, which that's fine, I guess. But <laughs> Kaylee, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome, Abby. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> and Ronan, who has a little a bit of background ambiance, if you can hear the children's show playing in the background, it is it's Ronan. We have a special guest on the on the pod today. Uh, she's she's a little bit preoccupied with her iPad here, but she she is here. She'll if she has something relevant to say, I'm sure she'll pop her head up. <laughs> of course. All right. So stage 19 of the Giro was really exciting. Dane, do you want to give us a little bit of a overview of what's happened since the rest day on Tuesday? Sure. Well, we'll keep it quick. I, I think. We can probably assume that if you're listening to a podcast about bike racing, you probably have kept up with the Giro. But as a as a little bit of a refresher, uh, I think that the general thought is that um, Egan Bernal has looked not quite as uh, dominant in the past few days as he did when we last recorded a podcast. Uh, he was looking very strong headed in, into this final week. And then uh, I guess it was stage 17 on the climb to Segadiala, where... Yeah, he just kind of, he didn't quite have the same strength that we expected. Simon Yates gained a bunch of time on him that day, uh, although he did have a, a bunch of time to make up. So, you know, Bernal had a pretty hefty buffer uh, on that day. And uh, coming into Friday's stage, the day that we recorded this pod stage uh, 19, Bernal still had a pretty handy lead over uh, second place Damiano Caruso. He was at 2 minutes 21 back, and Yates was 3.23 back. So Bernal had time to lose and uh, on stage 19, Yates again gained some time. He won the stage, uh, the, the climb to Alpe de Mera, but uh, Bernal only lost 28 seconds, which is not enough really for Yates to feel all that confident. Uh, and actually Bernal gained a few seconds on Damiano Caruso. So after stage 19, Bernal up 229 on Caruso and 249 on Yates, and uh, the next place rider is Alexander Vlasov, who's more than six minutes down. So it's really, it's coming down to those three riders here with two stages to go, and Bernal definitely looked better today than uh, than he did on stage 17 when he looked uh, like he was really struggling. Today, he looked like he kind of decided, I don't really need to chase Yates down, I'm okay with losing a little bit of time, and uh, looked a lot more comfortable out there. You know, we said in the last episode that Bernal was 100% going to win this this Giro. And, of course, there's always, you know, it's a week left. Grand Tours are crazy. We saw what happened to the Tour last year. Nothing is ever decided until it's decided. And Bernal has kind of shown a little bit of, a little couple cracks, but he still looked really good today. I think he rode a really smart race instead of, following any moves and using any energy that he didn't have kept his, he kept up a tempo that was good for him so that he could finish with as little time loss as he could possibly finish yeah bernal today reminded me of chris Froome a few a few years ago uh we, we'd seen over the first few weeks of this race the first several mountain stages bernal was just you know he was dominating and then when he had that rough day on stage 17 Things changed a little bit for him, and now he, he and his team are riding much more, I think, like the sky of of years past, where 
they know there's really no reason to chase down every single move. Uh, they, they've let uh, Joao Almeida go on uh, both of the last couple, um, you know, mountain days, kind of knowing that there's really no reason to chase him down. And that kind of reminds me of when Froome would get those big leads in the Tours de France that he won. Uh, and Nairo Quintana later on in the race would kind of go on the attack. And, and it would look exciting, but really at the end of the day, there was kind of no need to to close him down completely when he was starting four minutes back on GC. So what, he takes 30 seconds back. That's not really that big of a deal. And maybe Bernal came into this final week hoping to chase those attacks down just for the sake of stamping his authority on the race and looking cool, which he really did uh, the other day when he was looking at his best. But now I think it's all about taking the win, and they've kind of decided, okay, there's no need to chase everything down. We don't need to win while also crushing everybody else, winning by five minutes. We just need to win. And at that point, you kind of change the strategy to to uh, make it a little bit more conservative. I mean, Ineos at this point today, and, and I think tomorrow as well, they're just kind of racing their own race. They're, they're focusing on themselves. And that's with Bernal potentially not feeling as good as he felt a couple days ago that's the best option that they have to to win the race i think he's still absolutely capable of winning this race if he if he finishes as as fast as he is capable of finishing tomorrow basically without just without losing time he do, he just doesn't need to lose time going into the time trial that's a lot of a lot of time that people would have to take back in a time trial that i just don't think I'm I'm taking my my you know Bernal is definitely going to win this bike race down to like Bernal is 95% chance of 98% like something bad has to happen still but still it's it's worth you know a bad day is a bad day he could have another bad day uh, I really don't see the time trial being uh, decisive enough given the time gaps but not impossible to kind of return to uh, for for a quick second to Joao Almeida, um, I don't think we, I think this story went up after the last podcast. And so Matt Deneef, our colleague Matt Deneef, put together a little sort of like what if story with Joao Almeida. And, and basically, if he'd been riding just for himself the entire race, where would he be on GC right now? Which I think is kind of just a fun thought experiment, right? Like he, he was pulled back a, a couple different times to help Remco Evenepoel, who is obviously now uh, not only not in contention, but not in the bike race. What, where would Joel Almeida have been without that, without having to have ridden for, for Remco for almost two weeks? It's actually not that different. It's like, I think he was, Matt figured out that he would have been about 645, or sorry, 654 down, uh, as opposed to the 845 that he is right now, which I just thought was a sort of an interesting, an interesting look because you're sort of, like anecdotally, if I just watch the bike race and you've seen all the work that Almeida is doing and the times that he's sat up, it you'd think that he would have been a lot further up in GC, but really he kind of, I mean, that, I think that's a couple places at this point. Anyway, an interesting sort of side note because you mentioned Joao and, and reminded me of that excellent story that Matt put together. I think with Joao, the problem was that his bad day was a really bad day. Uh, he lost several minutes on that bad day, as, as opposed to Bernal, who, you know, his bad day, which we all were kind of shocked to see, he really didn't lose that much time. He lost like a, a minute, and maybe a little bit more than that. Um, whereas Almeida kind of tumbled down out of GC contention on his lone bad day, which said something about Bernal and how well he's able to kind of marshal himself on, even on a bad day. But for Almeida, I think he's still a relatively young rider, and he's still someone that is kind of finding his bearings as a Grand Tour contender. Last year, 
was a was a was a pretty impressive result from him all around. And I think the fact that he has been up here day after day in this final week suggests to me that you know as he continues to grow, he's only 22. As he continues to kind of get better and better over time, um, he he's he's a real contender for the for the Grand Tours. I mean, he's already been fourth in a Giro when he was like just turned 22. Uh, the fact that he can keep it together into this final week is a pretty good sign for the future, and, and eventually he'll probably kind of work out those those bad days. And yeah, just generally speaking, I think he's going to be a pretty pretty big name for the future. I think looking at Almeida, the thing that he's probably going to miss out on because of that bad day is, is a podium place in the end up. Um, you know, he's been second on the last two mountaintop finishes uh, today, and was it two days ago? Uh, he's looking to be one of the best climbers in the race at the moment and then that 30 kilometer time trial in the last day is really going to suit him so I see a good chance Almeida finds himself back in fourth position which is where he finished last year on GC uh, and you know ultimately yeah it was it was fun to to read that article and see where where he could have been but I, I don't think he's missed out on on the win overall but I think he has missed out on on a podium which will no doubt be hugely disappointing for such a for such a young writer for any writer talking about the podium i feel like we should talk about damiano caruso who is currently sitting second overall and even even so i still feel like is is riding a little bit in the in the high marzubeldium mode at least as far as the amount that people are talking about him uh to me he it's not yates to me it's it's caruso that has the best chance of overhauling bernal because i don't think yates is going to do much in that final tt uh, at least compared to Bernal, I kind of think they're relatively even evenly matched in a TT like that. And Caruso, it's it's a really kind of a who knows. So yeah, he's got kind of a Rigoberto Uran thing going on with time trials, where like we've seen him do really good ones here and there, and then other times just not much at all. Uh, his gap to Bernal was pretty big, but on a long flat time trial, if he has a fantastic day, like we've seen him do a few times. I think he's he's. It's possible that he could recoup enough time, maybe on the mountain stage twenty, and then the time trial that that this could actually be a real race. I, I don't think it's Yates. I think it's Caruso. I I tend to think that riders that that have those sort of very um, hot and cold TT rides, a rider like that who we know is exceptionally strong, that's probably more a motivation thing, right? You have to think it probably would be because this is a rider that we know can produce the the power necessary. Generally, his really bad TT rides are when there wasn't as, as much on the line. If you go through most of the ones that really mattered, he's had some sort of relatively mediocre TT rides, but I think most of the time when it's really mattered for him to you know, maintain a top 10 GC place or whatever, uh, he's had pretty decent time trials. I'm expecting a pretty decent time trial from him this weekend. Kind of assume Bernal is too, which is why I think if if Bernal sees Yates go again tomorrow, I wouldn't be surprised if Yates uh, if if Bernal lets Yates go and, and get some get some ground. And and I I think Caruso probably is also going to be worrying about Yates a little bit. So maybe Ineos says, well, we'll let Caruso do some chasing um, because really it's hard to see Yates doing that much in the TT. We haven't seen Yates do that many great TTs across his career. It's kind of like Bernal. He's not it's not terrible at them. It's not. It's not like Mikel Landa levels. <laughs> I shouldn't. I shouldn't say that about Mikel Landa because he he's already had a rough enough uh, May. But it's not that bad. Um, but it's. I don't think he's going to gain a lot of time on anybody. Uh, whereas Caruso, maybe he will. Does, so I think they're going to be watching him. Closely. Does that qualify as punching up or punching down on Mikel Landa? I mean, I, you know, 
Like, yeah. you know, he's still a faster bike racer than you, Dane, but he has had... That's true. Had, that is very he's true. Had kind of a rough, he's had kind of a rough May, so I'm not really sure. That might be punching sideways at this point. He's probably even a faster bike racer than me, like, right now. <laughs> he was probably even a faster bike racer than me when he left the race with, like, serious injuries. So, yeah, it, it's hard to say. Speaking of Yates, I think that we should talk a little bit more about about Yates because he's had a really interesting Giro. I mean, he's kind of had a little bit of a roller coaster. He came in as one of the favorites and he did not look great, but coming into today, I mean, he looked amazing today. He's only two minutes and 49 seconds down, which is actually not that much given that he did have some, some bad days during this Giro and going into tomorrow, it's another mountainous day and he could, he could do well tomorrow. If he had like three more mountain stages, he maybe would be able to take back a lot more time. Yates being, it's really interesting to me that Yates is not a young rider anymore. He's This is his 11th Grand Tour appearance. He has won a Grand Tour. He has led a Grand Tour into the final week, this very Grand Tour. He led into the final week a few years ago. Uh, he still, I feel like, rides like a, like the kind of rider that we talk about is, oh, one day he'll figure it out. You know, one day he'll he'll get it all right for three weeks. Uh, and again, he has already won a Grand Tour, but it, it seems like the whole roller coaster thing is kind of his MO in the Grand Tours. We've seen it multiple times, and it's not really what you'd expect from a 28-year-old veteran of Grand Tours who already has a Grand Tour win. And I don't really know what Yates needs to kind of figure this problem out and be good through all three weeks um, when the when the field is really good, because that seems to be the other thing. He, he won the Vuelta. It's not the same as, I think, running, winning the Tour, obviously, um, and even, you know, this Giro, it seemed like this field should be a field that a, a Welter winner can beat, but he couldn't put it together across three weeks. And I don't really know what, what it's going to take for Yates to kind of fully, uh, banish those demons of, of kind of the roller coaster grand tour performance. Cause he's been there before. It, it shouldn't be a much of a problem. I mean, he, he did mention some sort of unspecified illness or injury or something in the first week that he never really went into in much depth, but uh, I mean, it, you know. Is that the equivalent of like sitting on the start line of your cat three race explaining that you, you know, didn't get good sleep last night and, you know, had to do, uh, worked, worked 50 hours that week. And I, I think that's sort of like a standard GC rider. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm coming to this. I'm coming into this, like not feeling great. Uh, that seems pretty normal for the GC sort of, you know, mind games. I was just going to say, I think if you asked him the time of day, he would give you a vague answer. Um, <laughs> because you don't really get anything from him in the interviews. And I also think his plan all along was to to be at his best in this final week. And, you know, if, if we said earlier, Almeida's been second best climber in the last two days, Yates has definitely been, been the best. I think he probably missed out a bit and Bernal perhaps got a little bit... Uh, of good fortune today when that first climb was was removed from the stage and I think had that uh, more difficult climb been in Sophia agrees here had that more difficult climb been in we could have seen a scenario like uh, two days ago where Bernal was in, in deeper trouble and, and perhaps Yates could have extended his advantage uh, on the climb uh, and and I think we, we potentially could see something like that unfold tomorrow but at 2.49 down now with a 30 kilometer time trial on the final day i think he's just you know if his plan was to be at his best in the final weekend and take back time he had lost 
he perhaps hadn't planned to have lost as much time as he did and and you know perhaps something did go wrong in there i suppose we'll we'll probably never know exactly what that was but uh i think he i think he has come good on his plan to be at his best in the final week it's just that he's come into that final week just slightly too far down and whether that was weather or sickness or injury who knows i guess the uh Ineos Grenadiers team i think has also been a factor for Benal that we we haven't talked about too much this race because they didn't come in with the with a team that was quite as powerful as you know we tend to expect from from the Sky Ineos outfit but Danny Martinez has been fantastic for Bernal he's up there in the GC himself as a, as a domestique he's still up there in the GC um he's seventh overall heading into this stage so he's he's ahead of Joao Almeida despite working for Bernal the whole race uh and that I think has really helped Bernal kind of keep things under control uh and and yet do so without too much fanfare because we haven't talked about this being the traditional sky train but they've kind of done that sort of thing the past few days and and uh, uh, Martinez has been really key to that and and it's just another factor kind of in Bernal's favor um, which another, he's got another one going into stage 20 and in that, that the stage goes up to altitude and that's something that uh, the, the, his bad his quote-unquote bad day you know stage 17 was not particularly high from an elevation standpoint uh, but stage 20 the final mountain day of the race is going to go up over 2,000 meters for two separate climbs uh, and the final climb tops out at 1,700 meters, uh, and I think Bernal is going to like it up there compared to some of his rivals. Uh, that that's a territory where he tends to shine. I love that uh, Danny Martinez and Bernal are both Colombian riders, and that they're riding together on the same team, and that they're, you know, kind of Danny Martinez is kind of Bernal's like second second hand man at this point in the race, and and really all race. I don't know. I think it's just really cool that. You don't often see nationalities line up in this way on in in racing. Um, it's always there's a host of different nationalities for teams and stuff, and it's cool that they have each other. And his mustache is fantastic. No one's mustache is fantastic. He looks he he to me. I just picture him as like you know a 1970s cop show cop, and he's just sort of like protecting Bernal right next to him. He's just like gunslinging. It's great. I love it. He should except that he's tiny. Yeah, yeah. D- ignore that part. Ignore the fact that they all weigh like fifty-five kilos. <laughs> the mustache is fantastic. Uh, if the listeners haven't seen, if the listeners haven't seen video of Martinez cheering Bernal on the other day, go look for that. It was fantastic. Uh, Martinez riding in front of Bernal, kind of helping pull him up that climb, and uh, turned around and just you know really. Gave him as much motivation as he could possibly muster. It was great. Uh, I don't think we often see that. We don't often see riders cheering for their teammates that they're leading up a climb. Uh, and you could tell Martinez was really, yeah, he put everything into trying to you know, motivate Bernal to get him up those last few K, uh, which is pretty awesome. It's a very nice pivot from the Team Sky from V. Wiggins situation that we had at the Tour de France to have Bernal and Martinez. You know. Correct. It helps when the lieutenant is not stronger than the captain, which was the problem then. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, just wait for the Tour de France when the team's going to take like four guys who are going to think they have a chance of winning. <laughs> then we might get There's already intrigue. intrigue. There's al- I-, I will say, so. you know, Ineos, uh, Brailsford talked about changing the way that they race last fall, uh, you know, being more exciting, being more aggressive, being it the way he put it, a team that he would have wanted to cheer for when he was 19 years old. 
I feel like they're they've been successful at that, don't you think? I mean, they they, they haven't been super conservative this Giro. You know, Bernal particularly when he was clearly feeling really good early in the race was just every possible opportunity to take some time. He's taking time. It, it does feel like the the sort of philosophy of the team has changed a little bit, and I'm still quite. I'm not entirely convinced that we're going to see that happen at the Tour de France. I think that, you know, the philosophy, changing the philosophy for the Giro when you've got the rider who is probably capable of winning anyway, regardless of how you ride, that's one thing. Changing the philosophy to a more aggressive style at the Tour de France, that's that's something totally different. Uh, you know, I was listening to a uh, soccer football, if you live anywhere but the United States, listening to a soccer podcast last night, and they were talking about <laughs> they were talking about finals, like, you know, World Cup final or European Championship final or whatever, and how teams play really, really defensively. And it's it basically, it's the exact same thing in, in cycling, right? We, we end up with this Tour de France that, because it's the biggest thing, that's the reason why teams race it a particular way. So I'm not, anyway, not totally convinced that Ineos is going to switch that up, change that up, be more aggressive at the Tour. But I, kudos to them. They have followed through. They've been an exciting team this spring. And I wouldn't have necessarily believed that was going to happen. On that subject as well, I wasn't a firm believer that we would see any else change their tactics in the in the Grand Tours. But early in the race, we've seen Danny Martinez been given a bit of uh, freedom to to go on the attack, and and I still think that Bernal was you know they they had the intention then to be riding for Bernal, but they were they seemed happy and they seemed intent on trying to get two cards to play in the GC battle right from, you know, right from the very start and deep into the first or, or second week, they were still trying to, you know, rather than put all their, all their cards or all their energy behind one rider, they were happy to let, you know, Martinez take a, take a chance. He was in a few moves. He attacked on the, um, the day that Gino Mater won, I think, if I remember right. Uh, you know, ultimately they, they didn't work out, but just the freedom that he was given to make those moves suggested to me that they, they did approach this race with a, a different, uh, slightly different or slightly more uh, exciting style of racing in mind. And then obviously when, you know, if you get a rider who was as commanding as, as Bernal was for the middle 10 days of this race, then you'd be crazy not not to defend his lead. Like I don't think we can we can fault them for for taking a more defensive approach then. And and now with two days to go, a two and a half minute lead, yeah, um, you know I think they would be they it would be crazy for anybody to expect them to be continuing a new style of racing or or not to be defending a lead in in, in the way that they're going to have to now. I think I said something similar to this when when we last talked about this, but I do kind of feel like the whole new Ineos strategy is just kind of by default. Uh, and I, I really want to bring it up mostly because I feel like Chris Froome deserves somebody to defend him. He's had a rough, you know, two years. So I'm going to, I'm going to stick up for him here. Uh, his YouTube channel his, is great though. It's pretty good. Yeah. He gets a lot of, he gets a lot of, uh, he says a lot of interesting things on there for sure. Uh, when he won his first tour, he destroyed everybody on Axe Trois de Main. When he won his next tour, uh, 2015, he destroyed everybody on Lapierre Saint-Martin. Like, this is not a rider who did boring things. He was just so much better than everybody else that it seemed boring. But he went on the attack. Unlike Wiggins, he really went on the attack for basically all four of his tour wins. He attacked on a descent. Uh, I think the next tour, I think that one of the reasons that you know, Ineos is, is changing up tactics is because they just don't have anybody who is as better as every, than everybody else as Froome was at his, at his best. So I, I kind of like the romantic notion of them being aggressive. But I think part of that is just that, like, 
they don't have Froom anymore. They don't have peak Froom anymore. Froom is older and he's not with the team anymore now. So they kind of have to do all these things. And it's been great to see, but I think that's more a function of the fact that the, the playing field is a lot more level than it used to be, uh, than it is a function of, you know, Dave Brailsford, I don't know, really changing things up. Uh, I don't want to give him too, basically I don't want to give him too much credit. And I want to give Froome a little more credit. He wasn't as boring as everybody said he was. He was just a lot better than everybody else when he, uh, when he left everybody behind in the first weeks of all those races. Isn't boredom in the eye of the beholder? I was bored. I, I was. <laughs> I, well, I was bored and now I'm entertained. So. Uh, it's, it was definitely not the most exciting thing. I'm just saying I can't really blame Froome for making it boring when he just. Uh, I think I can. When he had the opportunity to leave everybody behind. I mean, I mean the, you know, Bernal, they thought Bernal <laughs> was going to be that rider, right? It's, it certainly seemed like he was going to be that rider when he, you know, stormed to a Tour de France victory as a, what, 21 year old. Uh, just, just absolutely destroying everybody else in the race, and they're like not even really close. But obviously, turned out not to be the case. And I, you know, I, the cynic in me, definitely Dane. Like I, I kind of look at that and say, okay, Brailsford just sort of pivoted because he had no choice but to pivot. But they, but like I said, they followed through. I mean, they were even racing kind of differently and better, I would say, throughout the classics. And maybe that's just because they have Tom Pidcock now. But the classics were different from that team, right? It's different than what we've seen. And the Giro is definitely different than what we've seen. So eh, maybe we see something strange at the tour from them this year. I kind of doubt it. I kind of don't think that they're going to win the tour anyway. Uh, So maybe it doesn't really matter. (laughs) Maybe they're just going to be fighting for second or third, but I'm holding out hope because, you know, it does make for better racing. This Giro has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed watching this Giro. And we've got two more stages. So, Dane, what is coming up on the final two stages of the Giro? Yes, stage 20, the final mountain day of the Giro. I kind of mentioned it a little bit already, that they're going to get up to altitude uh, as they make their way over the final big climbs of this race. Uh, It's a 164K stage, and it's going to feature some some pretty tough ascents. There are three uh, categorized climbs. They're all first category climbs. they go over the Pass to San Bernardino, which is quite a lengthy climb. That's the first one they're going to do. It's it's more than 23K. It gets up to over 2,000 meters. Um, they go over another first category climb to 2,000 meters, actually 2,100 meters. And then they make a descent to the start of the final climb, which is a pretty steep one at 7.3%. Sorry, 7.7%. Uh, and that's the final climb of the race. And the, the stage will finish atop that first category climb. So it is a summit finish and it is yeah it's it's going to be a real opportunity for any of those climbers to try to make some moves on the gc uh, and, and I, as i said before i think bernal is going to thrive at altitude but uh it, it's definitely going to be a, a day where if he has another bad day or if anybody has a bad day they're going to lose a lot of time the final climb has two kind of nasty ramps one uh, I think it's like 2 to 3K, and then the second one, it kind of levels off at about 5K, and then it kicks up again at 6K, so basically 2K from the line. Um, it kicks up to about 10% for almost a kilometer, and that's, I think, where, where you're going to see fireworks tomorrow. The The first two are softening climbs, and then that last one should be pretty good. Yeah, that stair-step finale, I think, is going to be good for, for viewing, because those tend to be pretty entertaining, because we, we often will see somebody go on the first... Kind of steep section and then the, the claw back on the next because that's actually kind of what happened today uh so hopefully we'll get a little bit of that action uh and then the race will close out with a time trial 
uh, in Milan. Well, into Milan. Uh, 30.3K. Boo, boo, boy. What? Time trials. Well, <laughs> yay. I'm not a huge fan of time just trials. Ignore, but, just know, ignore him. Keep so, telling us. So lame. The, the TT at last year's tour made it pretty good. The TT at last year's Euro was pretty entertaining. I'm holding out hope. Uh, this one is going to be slightly downhill. They actually finish uh, a little ways, just a little bit below the uh, starting elevation. So that is going to be really good for people who are good at time trials. And I don't think it's going to be very good for people who are bad at time trials. So we could see some biting Biting analysis would... here, Dane. <laughs> Thank you. Thank wait, you. wait, wait. Can I, uh, let me get this straight. So the, the, the time trial is good for people that are good at time trials, and the time trial is bad for... That's okay. right. Okay, I just want... That's right. Well, to make sure okay, if it, were a, if it were a steep hill climb, <laughs> if it were a steep hill climb, then I think we could say the time trial is good for the people who tend to be bad at climb at, at time trials. Not the case here. I think Joao Almeida is going to move up the GC. Uh, Danny Martinez is sitting in front of him right now, and I would not be surprised if Almeida jumped like four spots in the GC after that final TT, because neither Hugh Carthy, Roman Bardet, or Danny Martinez are particularly good at riding on their time trial bikes. So we could see Almeida move up the GC. Maybe Caruso will get some time on Bernal, but will it be enough? I was going to say, I think that battle between fourth and nine is going to be enthralling over, or fourth and ninth is going to be enthralling over the next couple of days. There's only two minutes between those four or five spots, and yeah, Almeida is climbing the best, and theoretically is going to be the best time trialist in that, that group as well, so we could see him, as I was just saying earlier, leapfrog right up the, the stand. I had previously proposed what I'm calling the Hugh Carthy rule, which is, I think Hugh Carthy might be the least aerodynamic person um, in the bike race. And so anybody who loses to Hugh Carthy in the final time trial actually gets an additional time penalty because nobody should lose to Hugh Carthy mm. in his final time trial. That's my Hugh Carthy rule. Okay, that's just mean. <laughs> I like Hugh. He's just not a time trialist. You know, he wasn't He wasn't terrible in the opening. I know, actually, he was quite he, good. He wasn't good, but he beat he was slightly ahead of Yates and Bernal. So, you know, maybe things are changing. I mean... Some some like big lanky dudes can sometimes get themselves fold themselves into pretty wild positions. He actually didn't look that bad on the TT bike at the opening opening time trial. But so you're just contradicting yourself immediately. No, I, after we your... should apologize to the the Carthy family. <laughs> I still think that okay, I still it's, I still think the yeah. Hugh Carthy rule should be in effect, and then any 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 GC contender who loses to Hugh in the final time trial, you should really look at yourself in the mirror and wonder if you should have put out more watts. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right. So before we before we wrap up this episode, who do we think is gonna win the Giro? Roman Bardet. Shut up. That's that's not that's <laughs> come on. Come on. Thibaut Pino. No? I mean, I already said that I would go on the I would not go on the record saying that Bernal is gonna win this Giro, but I feel like Bernal's gonna win this Giro. I agree. I also feel like Bernal is going to win this Giro. Yeah, he's going to win the Giro. Ronan, tell us somebody else. Caruso is going to win. Yates is going to be second, and Almeida is going oh, to be wow. third. Wait, so what happens to to Bernal then? <laughs> he hasn't finished yet. I'm not sure. Ronan. <laughs> so this is great because Ronan Ronan has nothing to lose by saying this because if it doesn't happen, it's just funny. <laughs> but if it does happen, then Ronan looks like a genius. So every no, yeah, he I, wins I, in I, every I genuinely scenario. think. I genuinely think we could see a capitulation tomorrow. I can't even say the word, but yeah, I think we could see Bernal crack tomorrow with those three huge mm. climbs in a row. So, just the way he finished today, he he clawed it back, and then he he seemed to just he didn't blow, but 
he's I think he's definitely on the edge. And then if his back is getting at him, I don't think we'll see the Bernal that we have seen previously in time trials. I feel weird about predicting the end of this race because I personally jinxed Chicone. It's true you did. And <laughs> Yeah, maybe don't pick Bernal because I want my pick to win, so <laughs> Fine. I won't pick Bernal. I pick Hugh Carthy. I mean, if ever, if everybody behind him gets a time yeah, penalty, then but, yeah, that would work out. We've already we've already done enough <laughs> bad things to Carthy in this podcast, and now Shoot. you're laying this on him. Ugh. Fine, I pick Nibali. I pick Nibali to win the Giro. That works. Thank you. All right, so that's all we got. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week to discuss the final two days of the Giro and the Dauphiné, which Jared starts Thomas on Sunday. No, we're not. We're not. This. We're not doing that. I agree. Yep. Okay. Bye, everybody. That's it. Goodbye. <laughs>